Ken, good morning. How are we doing? Good. I'll take you at your words. Good to see you all. Uh, if you're joining us online, welcome you to the conversation as well. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. We're actually going to wrap up John 14 and then start John 15 next Sunday. But before we get into uh, the word together, just a quick announcement about next Sunday. So um, one of the things that um, having a new space has afforded us as a church is that we have more space, which means we can uh, go back to doing things that we've uh, discontinued because of lack of space. And so one of those things is our family worship Sundays. And so it's been several years since we've done this, but about three or four times a year, um, we like to stop and have a family worship Sunday where we invite um, the older kiddos to join the families to come together uh, for, a, for a time of worship and learning together. And, uh, and so we're going to be able to do that next Sunday because we have space again. We actually ran out of space and didn't have enough room for our kids to come join us in the other room. But now that we have more chairs, uh, next Sunday, expect our older kiddos to be in the service with us. Um, and, and, uh, and so if you're one of those parents, don't freak out, it's fine. We expect the restlessness. Um, and if you think about um, our role as a church, um, our, our ministry calling is to the family as a whole. And, uh, you know, on some Sundays that means that kids are, are learning things about Jesus, learning things about the Bible in an age-appropriate way. But it also uh, means that sometimes the family needs to have time together, worshiping together, and your kiddos need to learn what it looks like for mom and dad to worship Jesus, and what does it look like for mom and dad to engage in God's word. And so uh, next Sunday, it's, I think it's been five or six years since we've done one. Next Sunday will be a family worship Sunday uh, for the 4th of July weekend. Uh, so I want to give you a heads up on that. Uh, we are, as I mentioned earlier, going to be in John 14, uh, starting in verse 15. And uh, I want to I read 15 through about the first half of verse 17. We're going to stop and talk about it and kind of introduce where we're going today. Uh, and then we'll dig in from there. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, you want to read along with me, uh, grab a copy of God's Word from underneath one of the chairs around you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our free gift to you. Uh, let's read God's Word together. Uh, starting in verse 15, uh, this is Jesus. And he says to the disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So, what's about to happen is there's in this chapter, there's been a lot of talk about the Son and the Father. And so now we're going to move into a time where Jesus is going to begin teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit. First referred to here as the Helper and then the Spirit of truth. And so, really, this, most of what we're going to be talking about today is the Holy Spirit of God and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what, is that, what does that actually mean um, that God gives us His Holy Spirit? But as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us um, that there's this connection between love and obedience. And I think that, uh, parents, we, we know this, um, that there's this idea that um, if you love me, you will obey Right, And so that applies not just from parents to children, but applies from God's children to God himself. That there should be a connection between my statement, God, I love you, and the obedience you see in my life. Right, For me to say, God, I love you. I love you with everything that I am, all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. Yet, to live a life of disobedience would be disconnected. Now, there's a problem, though. We struggle with obedience. 
right? So the idea that I say I really love God, yet at times in my life I struggle to completely obey Him is, is all too familiar to the Christian. So without some help or a helper, uh, we're going to struggle with this, aren't we? And we're going to constantly be in our own heads, well, maybe I don't really love God, because if I love God, I'd be more obedient. And then on days where you feel like you're, 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 you're crushing it, you're being obedient, you're following all the commands as you understand and know them, like, okay, good, yeah, I do love God. And then what happens the next day when you begin to struggle again? Well, maybe I don't love God. And then what happens after that? Well, maybe God doesn't love me. And so we know there's a connection between love and obedience. The problem is we struggle with obedience, don't we? And so God says, through Jesus here, because there is this connection, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask my Father to send you some help, and specifically to send you the helper, this spirit of truth. So as we understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives, we must first understand that Jesus is saying the helper is coming to help you with what? To bridge the gap between your love for God and your obedience to God in your everyday lives. Now, that's so important because oftentimes in the modern-day context of the church, we talk about the role, role of the Holy Spirit, and we get excited about the things that we consider to be supernatural. Part of the function role of the Holy Spirit, um, and I would say all of the function and the role of the Holy Spirit is supernatural, but we tend to, to think about ordinary everyday life not in supernatural terms. When we talk about or think about supernatural, we're talking about being raised from the dead. That's supernatural. We think about being healed from a disease or a situation, taking a turn that was unexpected, that otherwise seemed impossible. We say, well, that was supernatural. Look at where God's Spirit worked. But what we don't include in that are the, the everyday life decisions we make and the everyday living of living in obedience to God as something supernatural. And Jesus says, yes, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to do a lot of powerful things. But the primary reason the Holy Spirit is coming is to build a bridge, to make a connection between your claim to love God and your ability to obey Him in your everyday life. And He calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. This is really important. Anytime we teach or talk about the role of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about that some today, it's so important that we understand the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. So anything that the Holy Spirit says is anchored in truth. And we have to understand that the Bible says the authors of the Bible wrote and were inspired and were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. If we want to know what kinds of things the Holy Spirit says, all you have to do is open your Bible and read it. Because the Holy Spirit authored this book. So the Holy Spirit doesn't speak things that are in contrast or contrary to or in conflict with the words in the Bible. Why? Well, not because the Holy Spirit and Jesus just really get along, but because the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, inspired the words that are written in the Bible. So if you want to know what the Holy Spirit says, you read the Bible. You sense the Holy Spirit is saying something to you, prompting you in a direction. It's so important that you do what? Anchor those promptings, those inklings, those feelings, those thoughts in what? In God's Word. Because why? He is a spirit of truth. Not a spirit of ambiguity. Not a, not a spirit who says one thing one day and then changes his mind and says something else the next. And so the second half of verse 17 is really where we're going to start to dig in because he says to the disciples, you know him. 
Now, what's really important to understand here is what Jesus is talking about. This helper, the Holy Spirit, is specifically something God is going to do in the lives of those who believe. Okay, there are promises that God makes to all of humanity and all of creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. That promise is for every human being who has ever and who, who will ever inhabit or live among God's creation. But here is a promise that God is making to those who already believe, to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who don't love me, don't keep my commandments. And so though, if, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm going to pray to my Father and ask him to send you the Spirit. Verse 17b, you know him how do how do we know him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more but you will see me because i live you also will live in that day you will know that i am in my father and you in me and I in you. Um, there's an illustration that I've used in the past, and I'm, I'm not going to do it today, but I'll describe it to you because I think it's helpful um, to understand what it means that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and Christ is in us and we are in Him. And, and the book of Colossians talks about this as well. Colossians 3 3 says, For you have died, if you're a believer, you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so trying to map, wrap our minds around all of this, I'll use clear Tupperware uh, to illustrate. If you've been here for a long time, you've, you may have seen me do this. And I'll take um, the little piece of Tupperware um, or a medium-sized piece of Tupperware, and I'll write you on it with a Sharpie. This is you. What the Bible says is that Christ is in you. So I'll take a smaller piece of Tupperware and write Christ, and I'll put that inside of you, and then I'll seal it off, and then the idea is, well, that you're also hidden in Christ, so I'll put that in a bigger tub, and I'll put Christ on that one as well, so he's in you, and you're in him, right, and then I'll take this idea of all of us are in God, and I'll get a big piece of Tupperware, put God on it, and just put the whole thing in there, trying to wrap my mind around um, what Jesus is saying, and when he says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, so he says you're going to know him for he dwells in you. And I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Romans uh, chapter 8 talks a little bit about this idea of the Spirit dwelling in us. And I want to read a few verses from Romans 8, and then we're going to start to unpack this a little bit more together. So in Romans chapter 8, um, the Apostle Paul is writing about this tension that we experience as Christians. And it's important to understand that Romans chapter 8 follows Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks about the tension in his own life. And he even goes to the extent where he says, listen, church, there are times where I know what I should do and I don't do it. And there are times where I know what I shouldn't do and I find myself doing those things. And he talks about this war that is at work within him, this battle, this tension, this conflict that he experiences. Obviously, as a believer, I mean, Holy Spirit's inspiring him to write down words that we are including in our scriptures. 
but yet there's this tension in the Apostle Paul's life. And that tension is the tension between the Holy Spirit working, empowering, prompting, guiding, helping, and what? The flesh. What do you mean by the flesh? We mean these sinful desires that we have, these cravings, this propensity towards disobedience. So when you're in a moment where you're feeling conviction, right, it's not that there's a good angel and a bad angel on your shoulders, even though it feels like that. The bad angel's you. That's your flesh. Apart from the Holy Spirit, your flesh is corrupt with its evil desires. It only wants what's best for you. It never wants what's best for somebody else. It's skewed. It's flawed. It, it believes lies. It convinces itself that if you could have a thing or, or be something, you could be happy and joyful and, and experience peace, and they're all lies, and that's your flesh, and it is corrupt. But if you're in Christ, his spirit dwells in you, and so there's another voice speaking, another voice prompting, another, another urging within you, urging you towards what? obedience godliness selflessness humility and so this is this tension that that paul talks about in romans 7 and then in romans 8 he says starting at verse 9 you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit now, what he is not saying is that as a Christian, there, shouldn't, there won't be any tension because he just told us in the previous chapter he has tension. But he's reminding us of who we are in Christ. You are not in the flesh. That is not your identity anymore. It's not who you are. You're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if the Spirit is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, one of the important things that, that I think we need to think about is in this passage, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. And then there are two references to the resurrection of Christ. This is important for us. If we are Christians, the resurrection is where Christ comes back to life. That is so important for those of us who otherwise would be walking in darkness, who would be walking spiritually dead. We need a resurrection. We need a God who is more powerful than us, who can bring life out of death. Okay, and so what Paul is saying here is the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. That's a pretty powerful spirit to raise someone from the dead also dwells in you. And he will also give life to your mortal bodies. And this we go back to John 14. This is why Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. That's a future tense reference. And just keep in mind um, Jesus is just a few short hours away from betrayal by Judas, arrested, trial, torture, death on a cross. So that's about to happen within the next 12, 14 hours. 
All right, so there's going to be a moment coming really soon. I mean, these words are still going to be ringing in the air where Jesus' physical body is dead. And so he's giving them words that will give them hope during that, that time period. Like, hey, I'm coming back to life. But even in, as he says, guys, listen, you'll see me again. I'll come back to life. The same Holy Spirit that's going to raise me from the dead is going to be dwelling in you. So, quick conclusion, if whatever concept you have of the Holy Spirit is not powerful enough to raise somebody from the dead, whatever you're calling the Holy Spirit isn't the Holy Spirit. Maybe some kind of cosmic Santa Claus premonition that you have in your mind, some kind of ghostly idea of something spiritual that moves and does, but if the Holy Spirit, what you're calling the Holy Spirit can't raise somebody from the dead, it's not the Holy Spirit. That's who dwells in you. So verse 21, Jesus is going to return back to this idea of he who keeps my commandments loves me. Look at what he says. This is verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or make known myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. All right, so first of all, we we talked three weeks ago about one of the primary identifying markers of a human being who is a true disciple of Jesus will be what? By the way, they love each other, the way they love one another. Jesus says, by this, the whole world will know you're mine, simply by how you love one another. And now what Jesus is giving us is another identity marker of those who are truly his followers. What will be that identity marker? They will keep his commandments. They will obey his commandments. They will have his commandments and keep them we think about what this means so the, the, this word keep is that, that showed up three times there it's actually a really 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 strong greek word and it's the same word used to describe how god keeps us keeps us in our salvation keeps us for all eternity it's the greek word uh, tereo which means to guard or protect or keep safe so like in jude uh, verse one like the second half to those who are called beloved or beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. I'm saying that because the idea is really strong. Jesus is not saying by using the word keep that we would just kind of with mediocrity kind of wander through life and occasionally if we remember it we'll keep a commandment. What he's talking about is a really strong idea of not just obeying the commandments but like guarding the commandments protecting the commandments so keeping keeping is not just following and obeying it's like all in protecting and guarding keeping safe it's it's the idea of protecting doctrine even not watering down the commandments not changing the commandment commandments but actually keeping and protecting these 
commandments. And why is that important? Because if you haven't figured this out, in order for this to work, we are going to need a helper. Right? Otherwise, this is a hopeless proposition. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If God does not do something to help us keep his commandments, it is a hopeless proposition, isn't it? And if you're patting yourself on the spiritual back right now going, not for me, this is easy. Oh, I've got something for you in a few minutes, okay? So remind me to come back to that. But for those of us who are willing to be honest with ourselves right now, we need help. And so Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit as a helper. So I want to spend some time now, um, as we move into verses 25 and 26, talking specifically about the kind of help the Holy Spirit is going to provide, because that's really important. I hear some wacky ideas of how we perceive or think that the Holy Spirit is going to help us in our daily lives. And so let's see what God's Word, authored by the Holy Spirit, has to say about the role of the Holy Spirit as a helper in our daily lives. Listen to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So now, specifically, what Jesus is saying is there's going to be this interaction between the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in you and you. He's going to teach you things, teach you new things, and then help you remember old things. We need both, don't we? So oftentimes we're like, I need to hear from the Holy Spirit, and we're listening for something new, when in fact the thing the Holy Spirit is saying isn't something new. He's helping us remember something that he's already told us or taught us that we've learned. We need that. We're prone to forget. We're we're prone to move on and forget these important things that God is doing in our lives. This is why journaling is a really important spiritual discipline in the Christian journey. I don't journal well. I struggle with this. But when I journal and I go back and read, it helps me remember and it shows me how quick I am to forget. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. God did speak. God did move. Something supernatural did happen. And so Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to teach you. He's going to teach you all things, the idea of new things, reveal new things, and also bring to remembrance the things that I have said to you. You may have experienced, I hope you have. If not, I'm going to hopefully help you experience what I'm about to talk about. But one experience of the Christian journey is where you're in a conversation with another human being and all of a sudden a scripture comes to mind that you didn't even realize you memorized or it's been like forever. And you're like, whoa. I see it by the nod of a few. You're like, yes, I've experienced that. Okay, and it's not because you won the, the Bible memorization spelling bee when you were in you know, VBS when you were 13. Maybe that's where you learned the scripture. But listen, it's the Holy Spirit of God who brings that to remembrance for you. It's the Holy Spirit of God reminding you of things that you have heard from Jesus. And so as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit, I think it's important to talk about what the Holy Spirit doesn't do, and then that will lead us to what the Holy Spirit does do in our lives 
So first of all, the Holy Spirit of God is not sent by Jesus to help you pick your lottery numbers. I mean, I'm not telling you not to pray. Pray for it. But that's not a promise that Jesus just made. Okay? Holy Spirit of God is not going to sanitize the air in front of you so that you don't catch COVID. It's not one of the functions and roles of the Holy Spirit of God, according to the Bible, according to his words. When he said, hey, here's what I want you to expect me to do, he didn't say that. (laughs) He doesn't conform your children into the image that you want them to be. (laughs) Think about it. Think about all you want God to do in your children's life. I wonder how many times I'm like, oh, I just praying, God, you would do this in my son's life. And then I take a step back and go, well, that's what I want for him. That's what I want for her. And it may be a great thing, and it may even be in line with the will of God, but I have to be willing to take a step back and go, you know what, God? Holy Spirit, will you conform them into the image of Jesus? Because that's way better. Like, I get a little nervous when I see me and my kids. I do. I'm like, for a moment I get proud. I'm like, yeah. That's right. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I fast forward three or four years, and that's not going to go well. I need the Holy Spirit to conform my children into the image of Christ, not into the image of me or what I think they should be. Holy Spirit does not change your spouse into your dream husband or wife. We just need to get that out there. It might save us some frustrating moments in counseling. I know you're praying for it. I know you are. Just you get this idea of what your dream spouse is, is, is supposed to be like, and that's what you're praying for. Again, Holy Spirit of God conforms your spouse into his image, not the image you have for him or her. And the Holy Spirit will not make everybody like you so that you have tons of friends. With one caveat. As the Holy Spirit conforms you into the image of Christ, you may be more likable, meaning more humble, (laughs) less selfish. However, Jesus doesn't always win the likability awards. Sometimes he says hard things. So the ultimate goal of becoming like Jesus isn't so that you can have more friends. So now let's talk about what the Holy Spirit has promised to do in our lives I'll just give you a list. Holy Spirit leads sinners to salvation. You don't lead yourself to salvation. You and I are so convinced that we know what's best for us that we will take that path all the way into the darkest hole and the bottom of all bottoms in life. It is the Holy Spirit of God that intervenes, opens your eyes to see, nudges you towards holiness and righteousness and ultimately leads sinners to salvation. It's the Holy Spirit of God that reveals the will of God. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Holy Spirit, the will of the Holy Spirit is the will of God. And anything the Holy Spirit is prompting and and, and showing you is the will of God. The Holy Spirit regenerates sinners into saints, so we don't just stay sinners. If you're in Christ, Christ is in you. God's Spirit dwells in you. You are a saint in the most theologically profound way you are a saint anything that you can imagine in your mind about a righteous godly saint that's who you are in christ 
He causes believers to be born again into a new life in Christ. He guides believers through this lifelong journey of sanctification, which is the process of every day becoming what you already are in Christ. Conformed to the image of Jesus. It's happening daily. It's happening right now as you, as you hear God's word. As the spirit moves in you. It's hard sometimes. It's a lot like trying to watch a tree grow, but it's happening. Empowers believers for Christ-like living. Which we oftentimes refer to as the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5. He equips believers with spiritual gifts and he eternally seals us and guarantees our inheritance in heaven. Those are things that the Holy Spirit has promised to do for those who believe. Now, I'm going to talk for a little bit now about how to know the voice of the Holy Spirit because I think for most of us, this is where the disconnect comes in. How can I know that I'm hearing the Holy Spirit? What if I hear nothing at all? How do I start hearing the Holy Spirit? Let me give you five things that are critical uh, for our lives if we truly want to hear the voice of the Spirit who dwells in us. Uh, The first thing is this. We have to be willing to quiet the other voices in our head. Okay? So what do I mean by that? I mean like the voices of culture. Culture has a voice. Ephesians 4 describes how this works when the voice of culture is speaking. It's like being a ship out on a rough sea being tossed about to and fro. Or it's the idea of living your life and, uh, you know, building your foundation on shifting sand. It's always changing, right? This is what, and moving here, and that's the voice of culture. It's very inconsistent with itself. What is a moral and a virtue today will not only, it will not be a moral and virtue tomorrow, and the next day it'll be the opposite of a virtue. It'll be a sin. It's always shifting, always changing. So we have to figure out how to quiet the voice of culture, which begins with recognizing it. Um, For some of you, this is going to hurt. For some of you, you you need to get off social media. Some of you just permanently, and I'm telling you, you will live. I've got my pulse on my watch right now. It, uh, what's my pulse? My heart rate is 89. My heart's still beating. And I haven't been on social media in four years. I don't know what happens on social media unless you screenshot it and send it to me. Some of you, that's not it. Maybe it's talk radio. It's the news. It's your favorite news station. It's just, it's just constantly opening your mind up to the, to the voice of culture. Now, for some of you, it's like, okay, that's... Maybe, maybe you just need to take a month and fast from social media. You will live. You'll find bandwidth up here that you didn't realize was gone and missing. Like, wow, I kind of want to read a book. Where did that come from? Because <laughs> you're not reading this constantly. We also need to be willing to quiet the voices of our friends, well-meaning friends, even Christian friends. Sometimes in counseling, I will say or pray to the person I'm with, hey, I'm going to say some things, but what I don't want to do is I don't want to speak louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I'll pray, God, anything that I say that is not in line with what you're saying to this person, Holy Spirit speaking, would you just let that fall on deaf ears? Here's a hard one, though. It's the voice inside yourself that needs to be quieted as well. The voice inside yourself that says, I know what's best for me. I know what's wise for me. I know that I know what I need in order to be happy. You've been, and we've been listening to that voice for a long time, but that one needs to be quiet too. 
I think this is why sometimes in the Christian world we talk about, you know, when we stop during the day to read our Bible and pray, we call it quiet time. I think that's where that comes from. If not, that's, that's what it should mean. It's a time in your everyday schedule where you quiet the voices of culture. So like if you read your, your Bible from, a, from an app on your phone, that's fine. Just put it on airplane mode so your texts aren't coming through trying to speak while you're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, right? Find time, lunchtime at work. It's like find time to just shut down the other voices for a moment so that you can create space to hear the Holy Spirit of God. The second thing is this, and this is going to come up in the next chapter, is that you have to abide in the truth. What do I mean by abide? Well, first of all, you just need to at least be willing to read it. <laughs> You've got to open it, and that's a starting point, but you read it in a, in a very specific way. When you read the Bible, first of all, you're not looking for you, you're looking for God. Let's start there, okay? And as you look for God, you're listening for what, the, what, what he says. What are the kinds of things God says? Okay, so I mean time in his word, abiding in it, but, but in such a way that, that literally you see this as a source of life. This is what fuels your life for the day. And when you read it that way, when you come across a commandment, you're, you're a lot more prone to obey and to keep and protect when you recognize the commandments are leading you to life. So it's more than just a, a cognitive exercise. When you read the Word of God, you read it in a way where you're abiding in it. It's your spiritual umbilical cord. And I don't know if that works or not, but like this is where you see your real abundant life coming from. And so the second thing I would say is you have to read the Bible in a way where you abide in the truth, live in it, draw life from it. Now, now it's going to get more challenging. The next thing, the third thing I would mention is you've got to be willing to pursue humility, pursue humility. Now, I'm just saying be humble when the opportunity arises. I'm saying pursue it because the opportunity is, is there perpetually, <laughs> Pursue humility. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, it's really not till the end of the book of Job that Job really starts hearing God. And, and that, that, that movement in the book of Job, those final three or four chapters, begins with God saying to Job, where were you when I built the universe? Where were you when I created the oceans? And I said, you can only come this far. And he takes whatever perception Job had of himself, he humbles him, and then what comes out of that what? Is God speaking and Job hearing, leading to life. Now, again, I think the opportunities to pursue humility are perpetually, consistently, always there for each of us. But I'm going to give you an example of where in my own life, where the opposite of humility, pride, keeps me from hearing from the Holy Spirit. So, and, and I've got I've to be a little telling on myself to do this. It's okay. Uh, my wife's not here, so she's, she's not going to hear any of this um, unless she listens online. But, so, I was raised as the, um, I didn't have any siblings, I have some half-brothers, but I didn't have any siblings close to my age, so I was raised like an only child, which means I did not grow up having to share much, 
And uh, I've been pretty good at sharing most everything in life except for food. And so when I got married, I, you know, I, I came into marriage um, and, and to, to this idea of like when we go out to eat, I thought the plan was I look at a menu, you get a menu so we could pick what we want to eat and then we order it and then we eat what we want to eat. But that's not the perspective my wife came in who has two siblings close in age, has a sister who's 18 months younger. And so she grew up knowing you have to share. And so I'm telling you from day one, it's like, mm, can I have a bite of that? And it's like Joey on Friends, like, I don't share food. Like, no, I didn't order what you, here, try this. I didn't order that. I don't want that. I didn't order. I ordered this and I want all of it. Remember how I told the waiter, does this come with two or three? He said two and I said, add one. Like, I not only ordered what I wanted to eat, I ordered how much I want to eat. Now, thankfully, over like 17 years of marriage, a lot of this has been refined out of my life. I still struggle, though, with things like ice cream. And this has happened recently. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> okay, so I, I, have this, I, have a, I have a struggle uh, with, with, with ice cream. And I love to eat ice cream at the end of the day in my bed. And uh, which is not, my wife doesn't care. It's no big deal unless I cling the side of the bowl. So you got to get a plastic spoon and Tupperware. That helps with that. But here's the deal. Like, I have such a struggle with, with ice cream. Like, for me, it's an art. Building a perfect bowl of ice cream is an art. It, it really is. If you can't, it, it is. And so I, this was a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I get in bed, and, and I'm so excited about this particular bowl of ice cream because I've dialed it in. And I'm like, it's two different flavors together with a splash of milk on top because I like the crunchy. And then, you know, just, and I had it just dialed in where I could just get, like, the perfect amount of each flavor or just the whole deal. And I said, what does my wife say? Hmm, what you got there? <laughs> my heart rate goes up. I'm like, I don't want to answer this question. I, I, got, I got my ice cream. And then you know what's coming. Can I have a bite? This isn't just, like, a, this is a spiritual dilemma for me in this moment. I know what the right answer is, Okay. It's, sure, honey, have as much as you want. It's not what I said. I'm like, hey, I love you. I love you so much that I'm willing to get out of bed and go fix you a bowl of cream, any flavor you want that we have, any way you want it, and I'll bring it back to you, and you can have that. So you're not going to give me a bite? I, like, everything within me doesn't want to say the word no because I know how selfish that sounds. I'm like, no, maybe you didn't hear me. No, like, I'm willing to get out of bed, go into the kitchen all the way, those 30 feet, scoop you a bowl and bring it to as much as you want. She's like, I just want a bite. I'll get you a bite then. I'll bring you a spoon of any flavor. Now, which turned into I felt really selfish here, have a bite. No, I don't want one now, right? And then now it's like, we're at an impasse. We aren't going to resolve this conflict at all. There's no win-win here. The point is, it was one of the first times that I felt really convicted about being selfish about my ice cream. I've been selfish about my ice cream for as long as I've been eating ice cream, but it was one of the first times, like, I truly felt the conviction, and there was this I'm telling you, like a Romans 17 wrestling. You know what to do. Do it. No, I don't want to do it. You know what to do. No, I don't want to do it. Here's why I'm sharing that with you. Okay, 
I know it was just a small moment over ice cream. But when that plays out as a bigger principle in life, do not expect to hear from the Holy Spirit of God. Not because he's not speaking, but because you and I aren't listening. You have to be willing to pursue humility. What we just read, count others as more significant than yourself. You, so, I just can't hear from the Holy Spirit. I can't tell when the Holy Spirit is speaking. I haven't heard from the Holy Spirit. My first question to you should be, what are you doing to pursue humility? Because if you're not, guess what you're doing? You're turning up the volume of your own voice. No wonder you can't hear from the Holy Spirit. All you can hear is what your voice is saying. And I'll add a, another part to this. Another hard part about recognizing the vo- voice of the Holy Spirit is you have to want to hear what he has to say. Sometimes, oftentimes, the Holy Spirit speaks things to you you don't want to hear, like share your ice cream. And when you don't want to hear what he has to say, it's no wonder that you aren't hearing the Holy Spirit's voice. He's speaking. You don't want to listen because he isn't saying what you want him to say. Which leads us to fourth thing, you have to be willing to choose submission. You you can't come to God and say, speak to me. I want to hear from your Holy Spirit. If on the back end of hearing, there isn't a heart postured and ready to submit. You can't treat God like the, the options buffet. Well, I've been trying this. It's not working out anymore. I tried this. That didn't work out. So I'm starting to run out of options. God, would you give me a couple more options that I can choose from? That's not a heart of submission. A heart of submission is, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I'm ready to hear from you so that what? So I can obey your commandments, keep your commandments, follow your direction for my life. And so there has to be a choice to submit even before you hear. Do not play the I'll wait and see game with God and then wonder why you aren't hearing his voice. Man, if I like what you have to say, high five! Look what the Holy Spirit did in my life. But if I don't, man, God's just not speaking to me. You have to be willing to choose to submit. And then this fifth and final thing is there has to be, again, on the front end, a deep abiding trust in Jesus and his promises. Submitting to Jesus means you're going to have to be willing to believe his promises and trust in them, bank on them, hang your hope on them, stake your life on them. When Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it's a promise. You have to trust in that. When Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field and how God takes care of them, he'll take care of you. That's a promise he made to you. You have to trust in that. Hang your hope on that. If you aren't willing to trust, why would the Holy Spirit speak? Is it his job to sell himself to you, to convince you that his ways are better than yours? And so Christ followers, it's so important. You understand, I understand, the Holy Spirit of God, he doesn't hang out with you, he dwells in you. He's always there, he's always speaking. 
if we aren't hearing him, it's not because he's not willing to speak. It's, it's either one, you chose not to hear what he's already said, so you don't want to hear it again, right? Because he's reminding you. Or number two, what he's saying is not consistent with what you want. Or, or number three, you're drowning out the voice altogether. And so I hope that that's helpful for us as a church to understand why Jesus promised the Spirit. He's the helper, bridging the gap between loving Jesus and obeying Jesus, right? He comes to, to, to empower us to, to obey and to live godly lives, and he's transforming us in the image of Christ, and he's speaking to us because he dwells in us. And so I want to end with some questions for you to think about, questions of reflection. Um, these are also great discussion questions for the ride home or later today with your family here are the questions i want you to think about first of all if humility and submission are essential to hearing the holy spirit's voice how can you grow in these two things like what's your bowl of ice cream moment how can you grow in humility and submission and if you're sitting there thinking well i don't think I can, then let's start with humility, okay? Um, second of all, is there any area of your life, let, let, me, let me phrase it this way. This is really, really powerful, really, really helpful, okay? So if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in me and dwelling in you, then we should listen to each other and we should invite one another into the work the Holy Spirit's doing, whether that's a marriage, it's a friendship, church members, okay? Are you with me? Holy Spirit dwelling in me, dwelling in you. Holy Spirit says the same things to both of us about the situations we're talking about. It's really, really important. So, one way to get there, and this is, this is really risky, with somebody you trust who is in Christ. Okay, so one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, maybe your spouse. Ask the question, is there anywhere in my life that you can see where my character does not align with the character of Christ and then listen that will help you in your pursuit of humility it will also help you hear the Holy Spirit listen people who love you who are in Christ are going to always desire to point you towards him They're not trying to get something out of you listen listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to a trusted brother or sister in Christ they don't, I'm saying they're always right, but listen. Listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit in that. And then third, is there something you can do in your daily life to better position yourself to hear the Holy Spirit of God? Where is your space of quiet on a daily basis? So what can you do in your daily routine to position yourself to hear from the Holy Spirit of God? I want to, in just a minute, um, as we wrap up, our prayer partners, um, if you've noticed in this new room, they come down to the front so you can see who they are. They've got name tags on. They'll be here at the end of our services to pray with you about anything going on. Um, our elders um, will be out in the commons area. Lanyards on, so in case you're new, you don't know who, who the elders are. They're here to pray with you, answer questions, anything going on in your life, or if there's something like baptism, or I want to become a Christian, or like I want to take a next step in my spiritual journey, will you grab one of our elders today? Just say, here's what God's speaking to me, here's what God's doing in my life, and let them be a part of that. Our worship team's going to come out in a minute, and they're going to be leading us in a time of singing. If that's where you are, sing, let's, let's sing together, let's worship together. 
So however God is speaking to you and moving in your life, I encourage you to respond to that. All right, so let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for um, just this really helpful teaching today from John 14. And thank you, God, for the way that your word speaks to us in very powerful and convicting and helpful ways. God, that's my prayer today is that for each of us here today, anybody listening online, God, that we would walk away from this time in John 14 with a a more clear understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but also a more clear understanding of how to better position our hearts to hear from you. God, we know that, that so often the reason we don't hear from you is because we're too anxious to hear from ourselves. And so would you teach us how to quiet our own voice Would you teach us how to quiet the voices of our culture? And God, would you teach us to recognize your voice? That your Holy Spirit in us would bridge the gap between our love for you and our obedience to keep your commandments. So Holy Spirit, we're inviting you, not just into this room, but into our hearts to speak, to work, to do supernatural things like change our hearts. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.